If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnBest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with the top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm Alexa Von Tobel, your host of The Founders Project by Inc. And this week, I have a dear friend, Marla Beck, co-founder and CEO of Blue Mercury, an iconic high-growth luxury beauty retail chain founded back in 1999. Blue Mercury is recognized for disrupting the beauty industry with its approach to personalization. They grew to 200 stores and Macy's acquired them in 2015. Marla is also a cosmetics brand developer as the co-founder of M61 Laboratories. She's the first woman to be recognized twice by Inc. Magazine with two cover stories focused on her entrepreneurial achievements. On top of all of that, she holds an MBA from Harvard Business School and is named one of the most intriguing entrepreneurs by Goldman Sachs. Welcome, Marla. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. I know. I'm so excited. Um, I'll never forget, guys. Uh, I got to know Marla um, sitting on a panel. We both just sold our businesses in 2015. And I remember sitting there being like, what a badass she is. I was like, I'm so excited to be her friend. Um, and anyways, I've been lucky to become her buddy over time. Uh, so Marla, let's dive right in. Um, I just want to start with the beginning. Tell us the, the story of Blue Mercury when you came up with the idea, how you got going, um, and then we'll dive into more about what the business is up to. Sure. So we started back in 1999 during the very first dot-com boom. When I was up at, in graduate school at Boston, I had met this obscure entrepreneur who was explaining e-commerce to us, and we had just gotten our first email addresses, so this e-commerce thing was pretty new. And he was explaining, there were 30 people in the room, he was explaining how he was going to bring books to the internet and sell them. And obviously it was Jeff Bezos. The internet was brand new, but I was completely intrigued by e-commerce. I was always going to go back to my prior job after business school, which had been McKinsey. Uh, but a professor of mine, Dick Darman, said to me, I see you as an entrepreneur, you should start a company. And so he, he got my juices flowing. Uh, I moved to DC after grad school and realized I was in the wrong place. I was in private equity. I was buying like traditional companies, entrepreneurial, um, like office product manufacturers and contract maintenance providers. And I just felt like I was in the wrong place. So I knew I had to come up with an idea for e-commerce. Uh, since I had been introduced to it. And so I started ideating and I had always been a beauty junkie. I grew up in California and knew everything about beauty products. Uh, I used to drive when I lived in Boston 45 minutes just to get MAC lipstick. <laughs> I had facials when I was in high school. I knew this little brand called Dermalogica and uh, I, I just found cosmetics were really hard to find back then because you didn't have e-commerce yet. There were no beauty products online. And so my aha like idea was I was going to bring beauty products to the internet. And so Blue Mercury started as an e-commerce company. Uh, nobody else was shopping on the internet back then. And within a couple months, 
we realized that we were in trouble. We were going to run out of money. So we had raised a million dollars in two weeks. It was so easy to raise money back then. Wow. I, I just had a piece of paper and ran around with it. Um, <laughs> totally different time. Uh, but it wasn't enough. Back then, it cost almost a million dollars to build a website because there was nothing off the shelf. You were actually coding everything yourself and with a team. And internet shopping was brand new. And what I realized and what someone told me was it's very hard to change behavior. And so people were used to going into stores and not shopping online yet. And so we realized that we had to do something different. Uh, back then, you could only buy cosmetics at drug stores and department stores. There was no such thing as a freestanding beauty store. And so I thought we could bring these products to freestanding stores and completely change the industry. At department stores, everything was sold behind glass counters. It was a very uncomfortable shopping experience. I was in my 20s. I'd go to the counter uh, and no one would help me because I looked like I wasn't going to spend money. And so I thought there, there could be a better way to shop for retail in stores. Um, everything was also sold brand by brand and not um, not uh, a lot of brands together. And so that was also a terrible experience. I would go like to the Clinique counter and buy my toner and then I'd go to the Lancome counter and buy my mascara. And so the whole idea with the Blue Mercury First store, which uh, launched in Georgetown in 1999, was to create this friendly environment where the staff were trained in all brands and you could actually touch and feel products. I mean, it seems commonplace today, but literally wow. you couldn't even touch the products you wanted to buy back then. And so that was the idea. Um, even you know, from the very beginning when we opened the first store, the clients went crazy because it was so new and that you could ask a staff member, you know, I have fine lines, what can I, what can I use for that? And they wouldn't tell you one brand. They would tell you more than one brand. And it, it seems obvious today, but back then it was not obvious at all. So wow. we had <laughs> an internet, you know, we had our e-commerce site and we had one store and we were off to the races, but it was a very painful process to get there. Well, so you now have 200 stores and uh, from one to 200, can you just give us like, what were the major milestones going from one to the exit to Macy's? like in your own head, like give me a sense of the kind of highs and lows and the, like the sure. moments where you said, holy moly, this just happened and it's working to the moments when you're like, uh oh, that's not working and things are rough. Well, obviously when we had to pivot from e-commerce to the stores, um, that was very painful. Our board of directors said I was crazy that nobody wanted to invest in retail back then. People only wanted digital plays. So that moment, in that moment, it was a huge debate with the board. So I had to go against the board and make that decision. So that was like the first turning point. Uh, we opened a second store nearby, not a big deal. It was also our third store where we wanted to try a new city. And my husband and I, who started the business with me, had a huge argument over where we were gonna launch. So he said, let's just launch in Virginia. It's 20 minutes away. And I said, no, no, we have to try a completely different city to, to figure out if this thing really works. And so I said, why not Philadelphia? Philadelphia, actually his sister lived there. He grew up there. You couldn't buy cosmetics downtown anymore, which was crazy. Uh, everything had moved out to the suburbs with the malls. And so the only place to buy cosmetics downtown Philadelphia was at the drugstore. So I said, it's a, you know, it's, it's a market. There's gotta it's be perfect. demand. If we can't yep. make it here, we're not gonna make, make it, it anywhere. anywhere. 
And on top of that, we could sleep on his sister's couch. So, you know, very important <laughs> consideration as an entrepreneur, how do you save money? Um, yeah. <laughs> so that was the next turning point, opening our third location. Um, and then we grew up and down the East Coast to like 10 stores. And then we decided to try Chicago. Uh, and Chicago uh, was really hard um, to actually just get a store open. We couldn't get through the permitting processes there and couldn't figure out why. And so, you know, we spent so much money doing that. When you try a completely different market, new city, you have all of these other government regulations that you're not aware of. Oh my gosh. And that, that, and that nobody knew who we were. So we opened the store and we had no clients walking in the door for like the first couple of months. So then we had to get good at marketing. Before we didn't have to get good at marketing, then we had to get good at marketing. And then once we figured out the new city, um, we developed the skill set to go to a lot of other cities. And so I felt like we had made it through there in terms of store development uh, and decided to launch our own brands in 2012. We launched M61 Skincare and Luna Naster in 2015. So that's when we took a different strategic move. Um, we felt like we'd figured out the stores, we knew the beauty business, and that we had something to bring to the table in terms of developing our own brands. So that that was the next turning point for us. So I want to dig in, um, and you briefly mentioned it, but it was a question I wanted to get to, which is your co-founder is your husband. And yeah. I love that about you. And I just think for everybody out there listening, walk us through what that looks like. Like, one, but as was it like, and I almost joke that my husband was, I, I didn't have a technical co-founder for Learn Best, but in many ways, my husband was in the, I mean, every major sleepless night, he was right there. Um, but you actually had your husband fully co-founder in the company every day, going to work together. What was that like? And how did you guys make that work? It was great. I, I think there are a lot of entrepreneurial companies that actually start with two people and it's for a reason. People have different skill sets. So... Um, you know, my husband is sort of a, is an out there, make it happen operator, and I'm sort of strategic and, you know, thinking about everything. And you have that with a lot of businesses. Think about Apple, you have Steve Jobs and uh, Wozniak. I mean, so you have these partnerships that have different skill sets. And so it is these different skill sets. Me is the sort of strategic sort of plotting person, really focused on what's right for the customer and what's the right merchandise and that sort of whole piece of the business. And him just make it happen let's get the store open you know let's let's drive forward let me set up the accounting the back office and so we really had different skill sets that complemented each other so I, I feel really lucky that we found each other early on he had also been an entrepreneur before and so that short-circuited us getting stuff done getting the company set up which people forget how hard that is to set up the legal and the accounting and just get incorporated, right? All of these details he was so good at. And so we worked sort of right next to each other. We shared an office probably for the first 10 years. And then as the company really got bigger, uh, we divided up what we did. And so I definitely did all the marketing and anything that touched the customer, you know, our loyalty program, our, you know, ran the stores and he ran all the back office and all the sort of new growth. And so, um, but 
but as we got bigger, we didn't see each other as much. And so what we started to do was make sure we t took walks every night together um, so that we could regroup because people would think that we worked together every day and we saw each other, but we stopped seeing each other because we worked on different things and the company got big. So um, we walked together every night, four to five miles. We still do that. Um, it's really our way to sort of get through the exhaust of the business day um, and reconnect. And so it, it's a habit we've built. We calculate we've walked actually halfway around the world together in terms of mileage. Wait, um, that is... I actually have never met another couple. My husband and I do that too. So Cliff and I, that is... No way. Yeah, and it's, um, it is... We'll go and, you know, get a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and hold it while we walk. Sometimes it's a cup of wine. Um, and, then, and we'll just walk. We don't do that. And we'll literally – and we'll walk sometimes for, like, two hours. Um, sometimes we walk for 30 minutes. Um, uh, and it will just be literally a, uh, an exhaustive – and there's something about being side-by-side side with somebody that I think – um, yeah. you you can talk more like fluidly in a, in a way that's really productive but I love that you guys do that um, we have not walked halfway around the world I feel like you have some some more laps on us I think if you added it up you'd be <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about um, so I think you're probably one of the people who's most informed in America about the intersection between um, physical and online for retail what have you learned? Yeah. Like, what are the biggest key insights that you've had between physical and, and online and how you make that work? And what, yeah, what are the benefits a, and, a, uh, and what are the risks? It's a good question. And so a couple of things. Um, number one, first and foremost, the client that uses both channels is your most valuable client. It's probably not a surprise, but by a huge order of magnitude. So the ultimate goal for any omnichannel retailer is to get to that, where the clients are using both of your channels for different reasons. I think you have magical things that happen in store that you're always trying to get that experience online. And then you have the convenience of online that you're always trying to bring to the stores. And that's the trickiest thing about what you do. So magical experience in, in the store, you know. How do you diagnose a skincare problem? How do you um, match the perfect foundation? Right, that and it's that one-on-one -on -one beauty expert experience that we're always trying to get online and the hardest thing. But you know, our clients love to go into our stores because our staff are so smart. They're like human Googles. And we have not perfectly replicated that online yet, but that is the ultimate goal. And so we continue to work on our content. We have a complexion event right now online and in stores where we're trying to match foundations. So constantly working on that. Online, you have this amazing convenience, right? A couple of clicks to get what you need. You can get replenishment. And the question is, how do you bring that to the store? Um, and how do you make that seamless, which is uh, I order something online, I can pick it up in store. Uh, you know, I, I can, you know, do all of my research online and look at the details of ingredients. That's harder to do in store because you've got to go around to each product and pick it up rather than using the search function. So you're, you're constantly trying to bring the magic of store online and the convenience of uh, online into store. And it, it's something we battle over and try to figure out every day. Um, the greatest thing is the endless shelf online. We can have a lot more products online than you can in store. So you have less optimization that you have to do from that standpoint. But also you're always trying to merchandise better online because, you know, in a store you can tell what the focus product is all the time. Online you have limited real estate on that first sort of shop window page. And so getting enough merchandise on that and balancing that with content is always tricky. So it's 
it's about going after that that experience in the best of both worlds in one place. And when you do it, it really works. And for us, every day we're trying to figure it out. Um, so I want to fast forward to 2015 um, when Macy's acquired you. And I remember um, you on that uh, Inc. magazine cover because we, you and I were part we of were the together. same story. Yeah. Um, called Entrepreneurs in Residence, talking about big companies acquiring, um, you know, uh, uh, I, I'll say trendsetter, breaker, disruptor, entrepreneurs like you and I. Um, just walk us through the, the Macy's acquisition, why you decided to move forward with it, and a little bit of what the integration has been like post. Yeah, so um, we were at 60 locations uh, when we started receiving calls from um, investors and companies that were interested in learning from us and actually investing in Blue Mercury. And, you know, we took a hard look at where we were. So, you know, we really felt like we had the chance to get to 300 to 400 locations. And we were building everything from scratch. So store by store, we were also scaling our back office, our accounting, our you know supply chain, our, all of our technology that ran the stores. And, and so we decided it was the right time to look for a partner to help us with our infrastructure and take away um, some of, or help us invest in some of the areas that we w were taking us a long time to build and that we were building from scratch, uh, like the supply chain and technology, um, and give us the capital to accelerate our growth. And so what I would say is it was a hard decision, but it was the right decision as evidenced from the, by the fact that we went from 60 to almost 200 locations in the past couple of years. And so good decision from that standpoint. From Macy's perspective, you know, we were out in the streets and not in the malls. So the majority of their locations are in malls. We have no mall locations. So all of our locations are in, in streets, suburban and urban streets near where people live and work. They wanted to understand that. What were the new trends with the millennials, with Gen Z? How were they shopping for beauty? What were we seeing? Uh, on top of that, uh, they were also fascinated by our HR model. And so our retail HR model uh, was completely radical when we put it into place um, and was still radical from a Macy's perspective. So when I started Blue Mercury, I realized that our beauty experts in store would be our secret weapon, that I wanted people um, that were going to work for us forever and keep all of the knowledge in the organization. Well, back in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, um, Beauty, being a beauty expert or being a sales associate in beauty was only a part-time gig. You could get 20 hours a week and you would have no work in January after the holidays or in the summertime. And so it was a really sort of mobile population that they weren't, they weren't dedicated to anyone. And I said, let's change that. Let's, let's make it full-time work. Uh, with a career path where people could develop and learn and, and learn how to be leaders uh, and managers. And so we gave a whole generation of sales associates and beauty experts a career path that was unheard of. And people said we were ridiculous and stupid for doing it. But you get that a lot when you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> also, I just love how simple it was. You were like, let's just really take care of those incredible employees and let's let's keep them. Wow, yeah, radical. It was, it, was, it was so important. And we had a team-based bonus structure. Everything we did was around that from the beginning. We still have the same structure today. Um, and this idea of how we train and develop and compensate people, um, that was something that Macy's actually has started to experiment with in their stores. Um, and so this gave them a window onto 
how we were doing things differently. And then the final um, uh, thing that they got from us was just we're, we're so we're agile in terms of trends and merchandising. We bring stuff in, we move it out. Is it working? Is it not working? Um, we're always trying new things. And so that that gave them a view on to sort of how quickly we uh, turn our merchandise. Um, and so I think that has been interesting to them. I mean, we we were in conscious beauty in 2012, right? Uh, long before people were talking about vegan skincare and makeup. And so I, I just think having that window to how we see and listen to and act on trends. And so I wanna go forward with one thing. So um, you thinking about beauty truly now for 20 years, and as you said, even before that, because you were passionate about it, which is why it was just such a natural thing for you to build. If you fast forward 10 years, what do you think beauty is going to look like? Like, what, what do you think, what are the, what are the things that are super obvious to you if you move out 10 years? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and I've been saying this for a while, we're not there yet. Biotech and beauty, I mean, we, we have to get more um, targeted biotech and beauty. Uh, you know, we know we can run people's DNA. Why can't we design beauty products for the DNA of their skin? That has been driving me crazy. I, I might tackle that myself someday, but I but love that. And beauty. I um, is love that. Necessary. Um, sustainability, you know, it's a problem in our industry. We have so much packaging. We use so much packaging. People don't use up their products. We know that. I, you know, everybody has cabinets and cabinets full of things that they want to try. Um, how do we get to sustainability? You know, one of my daughters said to me, well, well, why can't you just take all of the water out of beauty products so you deliver it more compactly and then, you know, you, you, you sort of create your own beauty products out of, you know, more compact, like, you know, little pill or something. I'm like, that's interesting. Um, so the sustainability piece is so critical for the industry. And so, so the way the formulas actually look at or delivered may may change over time. And then we have fundamental skincare problems and beauty that people want solving. So, you know, dark spots, you know, hyperpigmentation not solved yet. Can you take a pill for for sunscreen and sun damage? You know, solving that sun damage problem uh, is a really really important thing. So skincare, there are a lot of skincare problems that aren't solved yet that need to be solved. And, you know, I'm, I'm counting on the industry to solve them. I'm and then what, so excited. Like, yeah, more, keep so going. With all the viruses, can <laughs> we, can we actually have more protective um, products for the skin that prevent sort of the, the spread of viruses? I don't know. It's just, it's another idea. Hand sanitizer, kind of an old idea. You know, all of the, all of the stores are sold out right now. Why aren't there more products that are protective, not just for the hands, but for the rest of the face? Um, so thinking through that. So I, I think there's there's room for a lot of innovation. There 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 should be more scientists working in the industry. I, first of all, I'm just it's so fun to like see you while you talk about this because it's so obvious you would do this for free. You love 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 the category. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. 
Um, okay, I want to quickly um, talk a little bit about you. You've been running hard. You're an entrepreneur. Uh, for everyone out there that's thinking about building a new business and learning, what have you learned that is critical that you, your husband, as the, the people building the business, like, what are your tricks to sustaining running as hard as you do? Like, what are the, the things that you learned about managing Marla? Yeah, I mean, the first thing, as with anything, you shouldn't start a business and, unless you are absolutely passionate about what you do. Because, you know, as Elon Musk says, is starting a company is like eating glass. I mean, it is really, really, really <laughs> the hardest thing you could ever do. And so you have to love the category. You have to love the business. You have to love the idea. Otherwise, you won't spend the time. You won't spend the sleepless nights because you are going to have those days where you can't get out of bed. I mean, I've, I've had them, had them especially the first, you have most of them the first year. Um, you have to really believe and have this burning desire to be working in, the, on, in and on the idea you're working on. So that's the first thing. Two is you have to be resilient and persistent. You will get a million no's. You know, and I still get a million no's every day. Um, you you have to be of the mindset you're not taking no for an answer. It's just not yet. People will say, no, it's a bad idea. No, you can't do that. No, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> Everything is no. Uh, and that, and I've gotten used to, you know, no is like a challenge for me, which is you tell me no, I'm going to figure out a way around you. So um, <laughs> you, you have to get used to a no. Uh, the third thing is um, people think entrepreneurs are risk takers, um, and I believe in entrepreneurship as risk management. Um, so if I look at the last time we almost ran out of money was that first year because I learned how to see around corners and how to manage for risk. Um, you know, I, I did not want to go bankrupt that first year. That would have been a failure for me. And so I pushed and pushed to make it through. And I really believe as an entrepreneur, you're, you're optimistic, but you're managing around risk and thinking about always what could go wrong and how do I reduce that risk? So I'm constantly thinking about that. One of the things I really believe in, you, you just said it um, in a different way, which is that uh, for great entrepreneurs, stress wakes you up. It doesn't shut you down. So when you get a no, it like invigorates you in a way where you're like, I'm going to get past you. Um, and I think that that is a critical key ingredient, which is just like you won't take no for an answer and you're going to run through walls over and over and over and over and over again. Um, what are your habits that like help just keep your 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 life week by week? Like what are the just the things yeah. that you learn that make you um, superhuman or super productive? Yeah, I mean, for me, I have to spend a half an hour in the morning just uh, going to the cafe where I go to every day, which is Quartermain in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, and just reading uh, about something that has nothing to do with my business, you know, reading through all the newspapers, reading through, all, you know, all, everything I go through, uh, and then just setting my two or three priorities for the day. Because I, I think as a manager and leader, it's easy to get trapped in the list of 100 things you should be getting done, but there are usually only three things you must be getting done that actually add value to your company or to the people that work for you. And so really level setting in the morning. Um, I am not a productivity person. I hate, you know, every time I see articles on productivity, I skip because I hate all of these tools and tricks to sort of do more with less. I, I just want to do two or three things and do them well. 
Um, and, and that's my focus for the day. And so I keep that throughout the day as I get distracted to make sure I, I'm working on that. The other thing that's level setting for me is I do homework with the kids every night um, because it takes me to being a child again and all of the different things that happen and can happen and what's really important in life. And so doing homework with the kids, uh, you realize that life is such a journey and that all of the little details you worry about don't, don't matter so much. Um, and, and so it's just level setting uh, for me to do that homework and to be thinking about history. It's also mind opening. You know, I think the more you spend time on things that aren't your business, you open your mind and can bring back those connections to to your your company. I think that's right. I think um, when you actually get to go swim in other other dynamics or problems or thinking, that's actually when I would have my best strategic uh, ideas. And I'd come back and be like, oh, my God, we didn't think about tackling it this way. And it would it would truly be, you know, connecting strategic points across problems, not within the problem. And I'd be like, oh, duh, that is such a better answer. Um, I, I want to ask, uh, you've built hundreds of employees and you've thought about them differently and uh, around building healthy, long-term, sustainable teams. What are your, your the things for hiring that you swear by? Like a handful of one or two just kind of lessons for your HR playbook that you think every young entrepreneur should know. Yeah, I, I have a really specific model I use to hire. Um, it's skill, will, and fit. And so at the end of every interview, I'm thinking about those three things. One is, do they have the skill to do the job, but not just the skill, the skill to learn as they go? Um, the next is, do they have the will? Um, so are they hungry? Are they excited? Are they passionate about what we're doing? And then fit is cultural fit. So we have a very specific culture, which is, um, you know, analytical and fast paced and no structure and entrepreneurial. And that is not right for everybody. And so uh, really looking at those three things together, they have to work together because if the person doesn't have the skill for the role um, or the skill to learn it, you know, that, that sort of knocks you out right away. But that will and fit is actually the most important for longevity of, of a staffer and of, of a person. And so so that is the model I, I look at nonstop. I can do that interview, I always joke, I can do an interview in 10 minutes and then the rest is just ch chat because I'm looking at those three things. I love that, skill will fit. That's fantastic, Marla. Um, uh, last just few questions here. I wanna talk a little bit about M61 Laboratories because I feel like it's a really important side of you and your business. Tell us just where, like, where did that come from and what are you most proud of around it? Yeah, I, I knew within the first couple of years of starting Blue Mercury that I wanted to create and develop products that were missing in the industry. Uh, and I had developed actually the brand name M61 Laboratories. And then my father-in-law, who's also very smart, said, it's too early. You don't have enough stores to do this. Focus on your stores. I'm like, okay, I'll focus on my stores. So finally, in 2012, I was able to launch our first product line. So I, f I feel like our stores are laboratories. I'm always hearing from customers customers about what's missing in the industry and even from our staff who are super smart about what's missing. Um, in 2012 or, or 2010, it started, we had clients coming in saying, I really want natural products. So a long time ago, this whole idea of natural vegan was coming out and they're saying, but I don't like what's on the market. Nothing works on my skin. It doesn't do anything. And then back then there were a lot of dermatologist brands that were also quite good, but they were full of chemicals that our clients didn't want in their skin. So I 
I was in the stores enough to hear this gap in the market. And so we launched M61 as the first clean clinical vegan skincare line in 2012. So very early in terms of conscious beauty. A lot of people didn't even understand why you needed vegan. I, I've actually been a vegetarian since I was in my 20s and went to Berkeley. Um, so I, you know, I saw that need anyway. Um, and so th that was our first major launch. And we're always looking for gaps in the market. The next brand came about Luna Astor Vegan Cosmetics uh, because we had clients coming in and saying there's no vegan mascara in the store. I'm like, you're right. And there's actually not a paraben-free mascara in the store. We've got to fix that. And then two of my best friends um, are um, major professionals that don't wear makeup to work, and or they didn't. And I kept saying, why don't you wear makeup to work? And they, they would say, it takes too much time in the morning. I'm like, you don't have 10 minutes to put on makeup? They're like, it doesn't take 10 minutes. There's so many steps. So the line, Luna Naster Vegan Cosmetics was also designed for my best friends so that they would wear makeup to work. So they feel sort of professional and polished, um, but could get it done in 10 minutes or less. And so it was designed for makeup in minutes. And so just seeing gaps in the market and tackling those um, are really, really important to me. I've got a laundry list of a million new brands I want to develop, and everybody's always holding me back saying, it's not time yet, it's not time yet. I'm like, when? <laughs> well, I love the fact, if you think about it, you have 200 stores, you have thousands of customers entering those stores every single day, you have some of the absolute best brains for beauty in the entire industry, you are running a data-driven Petri dish to say, what else should we be doing? I mean, you truly have yeah. the front line of thinking and forethought. Um, and if you can look at that in like an analytical data-driven way to constantly say, where are people trending? Um, that is so powerful. Uh, and yeah, I get it. I do believe development, though, is art and science. So, you know, I, I believe in the data science, but the data doesn't tell you what's missing right? It tells you what is. And so I really do believe in the data, looking at the data, but being informed by the art. We're just talking the culture to where things are headed, listening, ta talking to our beauty experts, um, you know, hearing, hearing what people are asking for. So I want to ask, what was your biggest like pinch me moment with Blue Mercury where you're like, I can't believe that just happened? What was it for you? I mean, it, it was it was probably the sale to Macy's, you know, it, it, it happened. I mean, we, it happened, it feels like it happened quickly. It was a long time coming. And then all of a sudden I was in Terry Lundgren's boardroom and then we were running to CNBC to announce to the world. And Jack Welch happened to be on that day. So it was Jack Welch, Terry Lundgren and me talking about why Blue Mercury and Macy's were partnering up. So that was kind of a pinch me moment of, <laughs> Oh my God, 15 years, and that was five years ago. So 15 years of building this company, uh, you know, which w wasn't a straight line, you know, was uh, full of ups and downs like a roller coaster. And all of a sudden we were telling the world, hey, you know, this is successful. We had also gone through two recessions. So that was my pinch me moment, which is you work long enough and you work hard enough and good things happen and you just have to stick to it and Go with your gut and don't take no for an answer. I love that. Last uh, few questions here. Um, I feel like I could talk to you forever, Marla. Um, I, I just want to, for everybody out there listening, what is the one or two beauty things you swear by? Yeah. I mean, it's three things. You have to exfoliate, um, you know, using a glycolic acid on your skin. Uh, we have our Power Glow Peeler, our number one uh, selling product. It, it, we sell one every five seconds. Um, exfoliation is key, especially as you age uh, and for men. So exfoliate. 
two is vitamin C is my top ingredient. It actually is one of the few ingredients that builds elasticity and collagen in the skin. You have to use vitamin C. And three is if you're not using the SPF, you're crazy. So those three things. I, that was like, for everybody, that was incredible. Thank you. Um, um, last things, uh, I just want to know if you're going to pay it forward to one startup out there, what's one startup that you've seen that you're excited about that it could be anything, literally it could be a product, something you're eating, something on your iPhone that you love. Okay. So I'm a little biased. My husband, Barry left Blue Mercury, left me to start a company called Evenly. Uh, they're revolutionizing oral wellness. So sort of, you know, so we dealt with the face. Now he's dealing with, you know, the teeth, how your teeth look. Uh, they opened their first location last week in DuPont Circle in DC. Um, so I feel like I get to be an entrepreneur all, all over again, uh, but without doing the hard work. He's doing all of the hard work. So evenly, uh, evenly.com, they're doing an amazing job. And it, it's really fun to watch uh, and to observe uh, what it's like year one again. Um, it's 24 7. He's up at night. He's thinking about new ideas. He pops up and runs over to his computer and emails someone in the middle of the night. So I, I you know, I, I forget. I have forgotten what those days are like, but really, really excited for Barry and his new company. Um, I'm going to end by saying uh, just for everybody, Marla has been somebody I just completely admire. I think she is the trifecta. She is kind, beautiful, incredibly smart, a wonderful mom, kids, a happily married spouse and both of you are just really are also wonderful and warm people it's so special marla to get to be your friend for everybody out there if you have not checked out blue mercury run don't walk run into a great store check out bluemercury.com um, and join me next week for ink the founders project with alex von tobel thank you so much marla for coming and joining us today you're the best thank you thank, thank you, you.